Today with Catherine Ruinala. Well, I was wondering if you would turn with me. We're going to look at 2 Samuel. My family and I, we have devotions in the morning and we go around the table and we all read um, and we're currently working our way through First and Second Samuel and it's actually quite wonderful um, discovering uh, these books again with um, my kids and, and going on the journey together as we see the stories and we're able to sort of remember, oh, I see how that ties in here and it's fascinating. But we were looking this morning um, at the story of Mephibosheth. Um, so let's pick it up actually in 2 Samuel 19. It's a long story, and it's a, but it's a fascinating one. And so I won't go into everything today, but you know, Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. Do you remember uh, if you've read about Jonathan and David? They, was, they were close, close friends. They made a covenant. David promised Jonathan to look after his family uh, and his family to come. And then Jonathan was killed with his father Saul in battle, and David became king. Well, um, while da when, after David became king, he, he thought to himself, is there anyone from Saul's household I can show kindness toward? And um, Mephibosheth had, when all of the commotion happened and the news of um, Saul and Jonathan's death happened, the nurse that had him when he was a little boy picked him up and ran and fell over and dropped him and he became lame in his feet. And so Mephibosheth was crippled. And um, many years passed, and then David came up with this thought, I want to find out um, if there's anyone from Saul's household I can bless. And so he found a servant of Saul's household, Ziba, and said, is there anyone left? And Ziba said, well, actually, there is Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. He lives in Lodibar. Um, he's still there. So David calls for Mephibosheth to come, and... Um, and he says, I want you to eat at my table. I'm giving you all of your grandfather's lands and property and possessions. I'm giving it all to you because I made a covenant with your father and I want to show kindness to you. It's an astonishing story where he went from a place of absolute obscurity uh, and poverty into incredible blessing and favor. He was brought to eat at the at king's table on a regular basis, given all these lands, and it was just an incredible story of redemption. And it's what, what God wants to do for us, hallelujah, through his son Jesus. But then as the story goes on and the conspiracy with, um, with Absalom, David's son, happens, and it's, it's really interesting as you work your way through um, First and Second Samuel, I was just thinking in worship tonight, thinking about David's life and, and all the retribution for things that he did, sins that he did, he'd have to pay, there'd be, there'd be payment for it, for it in some form. He'd have to pay for what he did with Bathsheba. He'd have to pay for the way he, he didn't handle the situation with his eldest son and, and, um, and Tamar and, and then the the prophecies that came through from Nathan after Bathsheba about what was gonna happen and all the bad things that would happen to his family. 
And, and throughout First and Second Samuel, you can actually see instances where there's retribution for what um, David did wrong. Even right in the last chapter of Second Samuel, you know, he, he was, there was punishment for um, taking a census when he wasn't supposed to. And I thought about that tonight, and I thought, wow. Now, there was this constant cycle of you know, having to um, pay for what you've done. But when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And he put an end to that cycle. So instead of having the cycle of, oh, I'm going to have to get what I deserve, Jesus, his death and resurrection, when he died, he said, it is finished. He was putting an end to the cycle so that you and I don't get what we deserve anymore. We get what he deserves. We get undeserved favor. And that's what Mephibosheth was shown um, by David. But then, um, when all the conspiracy happened with Absalom, and Absalom had um, taken the throne, um, which is so sad, if he'd waited, it would have been his anyway, but he took it, and um, David was on the run, and then Ziba, who was Mephibosheth's servant, Saul's servant, um, came on a donkey with a whole lot of provisions, came to David, and um, David said, where's Mephibosheth? I thought he'd come with me. And Ziba says, oh, my, my Lord, actually, he thinks he's probably going to get another shot at the throne now that you're gone. And, and, but I, I love you, and here I've come to bring you all these gifts. And David, you know, just thinks, oh, no. And he says, well, you can have all of your master's lands. But Ziba was lying. After Absalom was defeated and David went back and um, was made king again, Mephibosheth came to see him. And we're going to pick up the story here. It says here in chapter 19, hallelujah, Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, the son of Jonathan, came down to meet the king and he had neither cared for his feet nor trimmed his mustache nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until he came home in peace. It was when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? So he answered, O oh Lord, uh, oh my Lord the king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I might ride on it and go with the king, because your servant is lame. Moreover, he slandered your servant to my Lord the king, but my Lord the king is like an angel of God, therefore do whatever is good in your sight." For all my father's household was nothing but dead men before you, the Lord, uh, you, my Lord, the king. Yet you sent your servant among them who ate at your own table. What right do I have yet that I should complain any more to the king? So the king said to him, why do you still speak of your affairs? I've decided you and Zeba shall divide the land. Mephibosheth said to the king, let him even take it all since my Lord the King has come safely to his own house. Now, I read that story and I normally get frustrated. I think, that's actually, that's not cool, David. This, this guy, you know, he's done nothing wrong. He was lame, he was, he was 
telling Ziba to settle the donkey, get all the provisions. And Ziba then went and got all the credit for himself and, and lied about Mephibosheth to David and wrongly took all the land. And then David, you know, if I were David, I would have been thinking, well, actually, let's punish Ziba and give it all back to Mephibosheth. Um, but David says, who knows why? Maybe he was just tired. Maybe he was concerned about what Ziba would do or think. Who knows? But he said, okay, divide it between you. But Mephibosheth's response is astonishing. He says, let him have it all. I'm just so happy that you're here. I, I, you didn't need to show me any favor in the first place. You let me eat at your table. You, you, you could have killed my whole family and you didn't. And so he says, just, just let him have it all. And, I, and, I, and my sense of justice thinks, oh, come on, that doesn't seem fair. Have you ever been in a situation where something is just not fair? Where A, maybe someone slandered you to somebody that you care about. Maybe they've told lies about you to the boss. Maybe they've slandered you to somebody that you respect. That's painful, that hurts. And, and it, can really, it, can, it can really cause us to harbor and nurture a, a, a bitterness and an anger. But then worse than that, he, he was wronged in that his lands were taken off him. And then, um, and then David's judgment really wasn't a fair one, dividing the land. But Mephibosheth went a step further and said, no, let him have everything. And he wasn't being sarcastic or... or Strange, he, he was just saying, no, that doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that you who have loved me unconditionally, you who have um, shown undeserved favor to me, you're, you're here and that's all that matters to me. And as I was thinking about that this morning, I, I realized you know, that's the sort of attitude that God wants us to have all the time. The Bible says that if someone asks for your cloak, give them your, your, your tunic as well, or I can't remember the exact scripture. But, but his attitude is not to be fussing about what you're entitled to, but instead to live a life of saying, God, I'm just happy that I'm saved. God, I could have been destined, I should have been destined for hell, yet I, I wake up this morning and I'm forgiven. You don't even remember my sins. I have eternal life in heaven. You're never gonna remember my sin. You've forgiven me. <sighs> That's enough. Hi friends. For so many years, I lived with condemnation, frustrated that I didn't fully measure up. Then the Holy Spirit began to reveal the truth that I was loved, set free, and defined by the performance of Jesus, not by my good works. Such a basic truth, but I didn't really understand it. Let me help you fully grasp the goodness of God and how He's designed us to live supernaturally as new creations. Imagine if you were truly supernaturally free from sin and shame, free to follow the desires that God's placed in your heart. In my new book, Supernatural Freedom, I give you simple keys to unlock the freedom that you were designed to live in every day. The Holy Spirit, He knows. 
and the delight of learning what it looks like to be content, to, to fully rejoice in the fact that we're forgiven is so much freedom. You know, I, um, I know when the, when the Lord um, asks us to do something, we can absolutely trust that anything he asks is always for our good. When he asks you to let something go, he, he's not trying to put you through your paces and, and give you a hard time. It's always for your good. But when you do, you know, turn the other cheek when you, when you could retaliate and instead you turn the other cheek when you let, when you, when you instead would, would suffer a wrong rather than, um, you know, fight for what you're entitled to. Uh, you can feel good about yourself from, for in, the, in the moment, in the glory, but God wants to sustain you in having let things go, in having, um, maintaining that posture of, God, you're all I want. And the way we do that is by remembering that he really is the one who can satisfy our soul. See, a sense of entitlement and a sense of getting what we deserve is bringing us back under a cycle that no longer exists for you and I as believers. We have been brought, translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. In the kingdom of darkness, in the earthly realm, we're all fighting for what we can get. I deserve this, I'm entitled to this. But in the kingdom of light, in the kingdom of heaven, we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. We have everything that belongs to him belongs to us because now we've been joined to him. And so the way that we live in joy when it seems like we're not fighting for what we're entitled to is to discover, oh, praise God, I've been set free from that realm. I no longer, I no longer need to fight for myself and fight for my entitlements because I have been given favor that goes far beyond that. I've been given eternal life. I've been forgiven. I, and that's, that's the key way that I begin when I'm starting to have those battles. I hope I'm not the only one, but I know that there are others that you'd be battling like this some, from time to time, injustices, replays of what was done wrong. And I intentionally begin with, Lord, I thank you. Thank you that I'm saved. And that is, as I let that sink in and think, wow, I've been forgiven. God doesn't count my sins against me. I've been forgiven. When I die, I have eternity with God in heaven. I'm not judged, I'm not, I, I'm not gonna have to pay for the wrong I've done. Jesus has paid for me. <laughs> and suddenly everything else comes in back into perspective. Any injustice I've suffered becomes irrelevant because I've been given eternal life. But you know, as you let yourself settle in there and just discover the joy of your salvation, discover the joy of, of the freedom of, of enduring persecutions and wrongdoing uh, and long suffering, as you embrace that recognizing, I have something so much better, I'm not even gonna re-engage in that kingdom again. I'm gonna live in this place of abundance 
The Bible tells us a lot about what happens for those who engage and um, live in this new kingdom, in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. I hope this is helping you. Mark chapter 10. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Mark 10, and, and this story is in a few of the, the Gospels, but we'll look at it here in Mark 10. Verse 29. Here it is. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And that's amazing. He says, if you've lost anything on this earth, if you've had things unjustly taken from you, if you've left things to follow Christ, if you've had to um, leave uh, uh, houses and land, if you've lost and been unjustly dealt with, if people have rejected you for the sake of the gospel, he says, I've got great news for you. You not only, not only do you have eternal life, which is the enough, more than enough, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, but the great news is as you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, he adds all these things and he doesn't just add them back, he adds them back 100 fold. So if you've, if you've lost something, if someone's done something wrong, I hear about this sometimes from people who've, um, who've been really badly dealt with in inheritances. So um, really unjust. And it's painful because it's, it's not just about the money or the houses or the property, it's about legacy. And it's, it, it's a sense of rejection, like why did that, it's not nice. And it's painful and it can really cause a lot of distress and struggle. God wants to encourage you. It, it may even be that you've missed out on a promotion or someone's wrongly represented themselves and they've gotten an advantage that you should have gotten and it's genuinely unfair. Well, the good news is you can encourage yourself. <gasps> I'm gonna remember, I don't live in that world. I live, haha, <laughs> I live seated in heavenly places with him. I'm just, I'm just here on the earth as he is in that I am no longer in that system anymore. I might, might be here, but I don't belong to that system. I actually have wild favor that's far above that. I've been given eternal life. And, but one of the advantages of this new kingdom is that you can also know, hey, I can let it go. And I can trust God that anything I let go in obeying God, in listening to his voice, in just letting go the injustice, God promises that in this life, I'll receive a hundredfold back. And I've seen that happen over and over again. Things that just were just not fair. That was not fair. Oh, that hurt. Ow, oh, that was, that was a horrible rejection. That's not fair. But instead of letting myself get caught up in it, and I've got to admit, there are 
nights and days that I have been caught up in this and I've, especially in the middle of the night, woken up and thinking about it, I can, I can get all stirred up and, oh, it's not fair. And then I have, to, I have to calm myself down and go, hang on, hang on, hang on. You're thinking like a mere human again. Let it go. Just let it go. Thank you, Lord. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I have eternal life. And praise God, thank you, Lord, that I live in your house now. I live in your place. I live in your kingdom. And I don't have to fuss and worry about what I've missed out on because you have so much more for me. Anything that's been taken from me, anything that's been robbed from me, I thank you, Lord, that your delight is to see me receive a hundredfold back. And Father, I don't even need that, but it's your delight to do that for me. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. And you can live free from the, the struggle and the conflict and the fussing. You know, as you read about Mephibosheth's story and you go on in 2 Samuel, a little while later, there's a story about the Gibeonites who, who had made a covenant with Israel and um, a famine's going on in the land. Remember, they're still living under that, that world of retribution for wrong. And David says, hey, um, God, what's this famine about? And the Lord says, hey, well, Saul unfairly killed the Gibeonites when they had a covenant. And so David goes to the Gibeonites and says, you know, that was not a good thing that Saul did. How can we make this right? And they say, well, you know, we don't want any money or riches. We want blood. And they say, we want some of Saul's household to, to hang. And so um, David has the choice. I've got to get some, some of Saul's household. But interestingly, he doesn't, get, he doesn't ask for any of Mephibosheth's house. None of Mephibosheth's household is given over to the Gibeonites. There's some from, um, David, uh, from Saul's concubines, some of his relatives there. And I look at that and think, wow, God just kept Mephibosheth and his household in perfect peace. And God wants to keep you in perfect peace. Even when you've been wronged, even when you've been unjustly treated, God has perfect peace for you. He has protection for you. And he has blessing for you that is beyond what you could ask, hope, or imagine. And as you not only physically let it go and, and allow yourself to trust that God is going to take care of you, as you maintain that sweet posture that says, Lord, thank you, I forgive, I let it go, I'm not going to fuss about it, I'm not going to talk about it, I'm not going to tell my children uh, for, for years to come, I remember um, as a child, hearing about the injustice of an inheritance that should have come to this person. And I'd hear it talked about every Christmas over the dinner table by relatives. And it was, it's a sad situation and it was unjust. But I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be someone that's, you know, always talking about how I was unjustly treated or how that was unfair. I want to let it go and forgive like God forgives because I know that God actually has for me a supernatural peace that isn't in the fighting for what I deserve. It's in the rest of knowing I've actually been translated out of that world 
Praise God, I don't have to fight there. I can rest in the, the goodness of God, which is beyond what I deserve. I have eternal life and the promise of a hundredfold return for everything that's been stolen. You know, God wants to encourage you. You can let it go. And you don't have to just let it go with the attitude of a martyr. You can let it go with the attitude of, oh, I'm so blessed. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I have eternal life. And find supernatural peace right there. And then as you do, as you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll cause the hundredfold recompense to come because he is faithful. And as you surrender yourself to his house, you're no longer fighting for your own stuff, for your own property, for your own um, money, for your own justice, for your own um, opportunities. You're actually living in the place of abundance that's beyond your wildest hopes or imagination. I remember when I got married, I was a poor student. I would save my bus money um, so that I could um, you know, save up for a car. And I mean, it took a very, very, very long time. And praise God, I was able to buy a car for like $200 um, because Tom's father was very generous. He said, I've got a, I've got a used car that I wanna, I wanna sell. And I said, oh, I won't be able to, I won't be able to, to buy it. I have, I've only got, I've got nothing. And he says, well, how much do you have? And I said, well, um, um, I've saved um, um, $237. He says, well, that's a fair price. And so I, I got my first car. But then when I got married, um, Tom had saved up for a house. He bought a beautiful um, block of land. We built a house. And I started living um, in this, this place of, um, of blessing just because I was married to him. And the Lord just began to speak to me. He says, you know, just because you're married to me, you get to have the checkbook. You get to have whatever is mine is now yours because you're no longer somebody struggling on their own. You've actually come into my house. God wants you to live with a different mindset, that you are not a victim. You are actually a bride. You are highly valued. You are extraordinarily blessed. 